the number one thing is we were happy to be open and provide the public with a much needed escape from what was very uh, early post-quarantine. That being said, a lot of the, let's say, what would the public might perceive as if there was any silver lining for drive-ins in the pandemic was negated by a lot of factors. This is the Box Office Podcast. I am Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, the only publication in North America exclusively dedicated to covering theatrical exhibition. Joined once again by our deputy editor and co-host of the podcast, Rebecca Pauly. This week, we've got a preview interview with John Vincent Jr., the head of the United Drive-In Theater Owners Association, talking about that group's annual convention in Florida. He'll be giving us some updates on the drive-in business and what they'll be talking about at their annual meetings. And we also have, like every week, an update on the release calendar, the latest headlines, and a quick analysis of the box office. Before we get started, Rebecca, another cold weekend here in New York, but the positive news here is that COVID cases seem to be coming down. They seem to have peaked from this Omicron wave. One of the top officials at the World Health Organization saying that the emergency phase of the pandemic might be over. If Omicron is settling down, it is great news. Um, Unfortunate that it is too late to forestall a major change to the 2022 release calendar that uh, Daniel, you and I were both very disappointed to see. We got a little break from uh, big uh, blockbuster money earning, you know, big potential films uh, getting pushed down to next year. But the ghost of Christmas past. Or, <laughs> the ghost of COVID the, but the, but the ghost of it release, looks like, yeah. Yeah, the, the ghost of release date changes past come back to uh, to bite us yet again. No, unfortunately, as you mentioned, Paramount changing the release dates of a number of films. I think, to be honest here, it's probably more of a factor of the pandemic stalling production and post-production, just looking at how far some of these films have been uh, pushed back. But why don't you go over that list, which unfortunately is headlined by Mission Impossible 7 moving out of its September 2022 spot, one of our favorite action franchises. That's now coming out next year. Could you give us a rundown, Rebecca, of what exactly is going down from Paramount here? Well, from Paramount, as you mentioned, we have Mission Impossible 7 has been pushed to summer of next year, July 14th, 2023. The domino effect there is that Mission Impossible 8 uh, has been pushed from July 7, 2023 to June of 2024. Paramount has also moved the release dates of its uh, upcoming Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles animated uh, film and the third entry in the A Quiet Place franchise, which has been moved from March of 2023 to September 22 of 2023. So not a huge jump there, but certainly not the kind of thing we uh, we'd like to see. I'm sure this isn't going to be the last of the changes we're going to see as the market reshuffles. We already saw Universal actually placing uh, their romantic comedy Bros up in that September 30th date that Mission Impossible 7 just vacated. Uh, yeah, they certainly don't really seem like comparable films. I'm curious to see that one. It is uh, starring and co-written by Billy Eichner, who's a who's a comedian that who I find really funny. So that one I'm uh, I'm excited to see. Unfortunately, this coming weekend, eek, no new wide releases from anyone. 
This is going to be, I think, probably one of the most difficult weekends on the market. Then again, if we just look at the last weekend that happened, the two new releases that came out, Rebecca, they didn't really perform well at all with Redeeming Love opening in fourth place with 3.7 million from just under 2,000 screens. And all the way down in eighth place, The King's Daughter, a film that's been delayed for many, many years, opening in just over 2,000 screens, but under a million dollars. That's $750,000 in that debut for The King's Daughter. Honestly, I'm surprised that, that that one even got a theatrical release, if I'm being completely honest. It's one that I've been keeping an eye on for a while, just because the premise is, you know, it's a historical fantasy. Pierce Brosnan as the King of France finds a mermaid and his daughter has tries to stop him from killing the mermaid to absorb her powers. It sounds wacky as hell. It sounds you know, I, I love that wacky sounds, as hell things, yeah. but it does sound like something that would, um, l- let me say, have a hard time finding an audience, which uh, indeed it did turn out to be the case. Uh, with Redeeming Love, I mean, I've I seen the trailers for it and I... I don't know, maybe I had kind of higher expectations for it because it is a faith-based film and we have seen those uh, really connect with their niche. And on the M&A side in the industry, some movement here in the domestic market with dine-in cinemas and cinema entertainment centers continuing to expand. Let's start with Charlotte, North Carolina and with Synergy, one of the largest cinema entertainment center circuits, opening its first luxury branded location in a former studio movie grill site. That cinema is going to be opening up this spring, projected in April. And in the Chicago area, Star Cinema Grill, uh, dine-in cinema circuit, acquiring two IPIC locations in that Chicago metropolitan area, expanding its footprint uh, further outside of Texas. So a nice bit of momentum here on M&A as we see cinema concepts and cinema circuits that don't exclusively rely on studio rentals coming in and bringing in audiences, having that dine-in feature, having that cinema entertainment center feature helps diversify those earnings. We see that having a positive effect in the market as we see with these expansions coming in later this year. And talking about exhibition niches, parts of the exhibition world that are a different experience from a regular night out at the movies, we have to talk drive-ins and we actually have a great guest to go into that topic John Vincent Jr., the head of the United Drive-In Theater Owners Association, joining us this week for a chat on Uditoa's annual convention happening next week in Orlando. We are here with John Vincent of Uditoa. John, thank you for joining us again. We had you here on the show earlier in the summer, uh, let's call it later in the summer, uh, during our CinemaCon series of episodes just get an update of where drive-ins were, uh, what the experience was, because as we discussed back then, there was a popular narrative during the pandemic that exhibition was suffering, but drive-ins, you guys were swimming in a pool of money, just it had never been better. <laughs> the, the, the pandemic never affected drive-in theaters, but as we discussed, that wasn't the case. Uh, for our new listeners, can we go over just what the pandemic caused for the drive-in sector? Oh, absolutely. The number one thing is we were happy to be open and provide the public with a much needed escape from what was very uh, early post-quarantine uh, timeframe. That being said, a lot of the, let's say, 
what would the public might perceive as if there was any silver lining for drive-ins in the pandemic was negated by a lot of factors. You know, we, we had to make sure we had social distancing in our lots. So many of us, including myself, we had to go to half capacity. And by the time you're done with half capacity, given the way the rows work, it really was 40% capacity. So you lost your peak sales. Um, many drive-ins really, you know, only have one day a week in the summer to make it really make money. And that's Saturday night. Uh, and that would be when they lost half their business, let's say, for that particular day. The other half of the coin is just like our indoor counterparts. Uh, and for first-time listeners, I also have an indoor theater, so I am what we call an amphibious operator. We operate both indoors and outdoors. It's a newly coined term from a couple of years ago. We had to – we make a lot of our money on concession, and we had to do – new procedures and policies to get the food delivered to the customers. We, you know, My theater was historically cafeteria style. People would walk through one of three lanes and there would be a lot of impulse buying going on. They didn't have to pre-order the food. They can just pick it and walk out, you know, after visiting the cashier. So uh, we had to transition completely into, let's say, the McDonald's style where you go up, you place your order and... Um, you, you know, you wait for it to be delivered to you. And for us, that caused the ability not to be able to handle crowds very well because the line would back up pretty profusely, especially with six-foot distancing. So our concession sales were down dramatically, dramatically. So 2020 was was not one of my driving's best years whatsoever. Um, but, you know, I, I do want to emphasize that the operators like myself were just ecstatic to be able to provide an outlet for the public that had nothing at, you know, very little out-of-home entertainment options at the time. So if if you fast forward to 2021, also not necessarily a great year. The, the reason being is, is uh, well, one thing we've learned in the driving industry and is Hollywood's not going to release their blockbuster movies just for drive-ins. We, know, we knew that in 2020, and we also knew that in 2021 when the entire industry was not up on the platform that you know we all would like us to be at in terms of attendance because of the lingering COVID concerns. You know, that was a lot of the product was delayed. And also the stuff that was out was day and date with uh, some of the streaming services, which also hurt. So 2021 for my theater in particular was also not very good, not one for the record books. In fact, honestly, it was one of the worst we've had in the last 20 years. But again, we're happy to be here, happy to you know provide that valuable out-of-home entertainment. And you know we look forward for many years to come. You're not going to see a big uh, reduction in the drive-in theater count. And thankfully, our indoor counterparts, we really need a robust theatrical business, including all the indoor theaters from the largest chains down to the smallest single screen hometown theaters to be up running and at their best in order for the entire industry to thrive. And really thankful, uh, myself in particular, having an indoor for the Shuttered Venue Operators Grant um, that really did save, you know, your hometown theater. You know, if it wasn't for that and the work of the National Association of Theater Owners, you know, we'd be in a very different place. Now, the SVOG that you mentioned, John, that was such an important lifeline for cinemas here in the United States. During CinemaCon, I was speaking with John Fithian, the head of the National Association of Theater Owners, and he said that thanks to this government funding and a lot of the actions of the industry, a lot of the lobbying, we only lost about 1,000 screens in the U.S., 
Uh, so we went from around 43,000 to 42,000 in the span of 2020 to 2021. Just a great result. He was originally afraid that we might lose up to half. It was just 1,000. Now, a big asterisk here is that drive-ins were even more resilient in that you had to face the capacity restrictions from the start. True, you, you got to open a little bit earlier. That's, that's, I guess, a plus. But you didn't have any of the content from the studios either. You also had to face that drought of content pipeline. And then lastly, you guys weren't uh, eligible for the SVOG money. Is that correct? Drive-ins just weren't able to receive the same government funding that uh, indoor theaters were. I, I will add an asterisk to that, though. It wasn't a poison pill like if you're a publicly traded company, you're not eligible for SVOG, period. You know, a drive-in would be eligible if their principal business activity is cinemas or something like that or other reasons or, you know, they have split corporations and everything else. So, yes, drive-ins in and of themselves were not eligible. Cinema, indoor cinemas were, of course, uh, eligible. So, yes, and we did have some drive-ins that are probably near the cities that did tend to do okay in the pandemic. But we many of, as you get into the rural areas, they did not. So, yes, but also we there were other government programs, too, that some, you know, operators, including drive-ins, including indoors and drive-ins, were able to take advantage of outside of SFOG, like the payroll protection program definitely helped some drive-ins. So, you know, it wasn't without all, any support whatsoever. But we certainly, you know, the, the delta between, you know, my cinemas, which was closed 16 months, and had I been open in those 16 months anyway, what would we have done? 10% of normal um, for a small town theater like mine. Uh, so. We were happy to be open. Drive-ins are, again, we're happy to be open, happy to service the customers, provide that outlet, and keep the uh, pulse of the theatrical business going. You know, in 2020, the nationwide top 10, top 10 list, top 10 movies, top 10 theaters, there was a couple of time frames when that was 100% drive-ins in, in the summer of 2020. A <laughs> uh, little bit of a teeny silver lining, you know, but um, we were happy to carry the flag. It's, the it's great to see. National trades for a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> that's heartwarming, but... Um, you know, it it did not provide. You know, there, it, it, going back to what you when you opened with with uh, you know the narrative that was out there that Drivens did fantastic and its resurgence and everything you know everything else down the line. You know, I, I've been in this business for 33 years, and and you know the drive-in business has been recovered nicely pretty much in the early 90s when we started to get mainstream product again. And there's a whole host of issues why drive-ins will never be, you're never going to have 4,000 again like you did in the 50s, you know, land value, seasonality, everything down the line. But the ones of us that are left and are, you know, well, we're here to stay, put it that way. No, it's it's great to hear. And, and you mentioned uh, that resurgence that really happened in the 90s. If, if I recall correctly, it was with the release of Jurassic Park and being able to have a crop of first release blockbusters on the break, being able to have those in your screens that, that really helped recover from that, uh, let's call it slide in the 1980s when, when things uh, really truly did look difficult for the industry. It's been a sustained recovery. Innovations like digital cinema uh, have helped, uh, I think, technologically in, in pushing the experience forward. Let's talk about the content a little bit right now, because we, we mentioned how in the 90s, Jurassic Park helped bring that resurgence. What are the films that have worked at the drive-in between 2020 and 2021? We talk about this a lot on the podcast, what movies people are going to. Drive-ins are a different uh, sort of experience altogether. What movies are working best at your theaters? 
Well, you know, for the single screens like me, you want to attract the widest audience, you know, and for you know, three, four or five screen driving, they can take pretty much everything. But I can tell you from the single screen perspective, you, you really need to attract the widest audience um, to make it work. And the movies that, that did work, two of them were, you know, Jungle Cruise and Free Guy uh, in August of last year really helped uh, carry the weight, it, not only at the driving, but the indoors as well. But yeah, the, the family movies that draw the widest attraction. When I say the context of family, I mean something that the adults can appreciate and like and find entertaining all the way down to not all the all the way down to really young kids, but down to, I don't know, five, seven-year-olds. That's when you get the most drive-ins. Like, there's, there's outliers that do really well with horror movies and, and, and the like. But in terms of most drive-ins, it's, it's the family movies that draw the widest attraction that's watchable by the vast majority of audiences. So, you know, aside from that, we continue to perform well with uh, so-called retro movies. We wish more of them were out of the vault on an available basis, but most drive-ins do quite well with uh, you know, classics such as uh, Dirty Dancing, Grease, Jaws, Goonies, Gremlins, you know, those you can't go wrong. You can't play them all summer either. <laughs> you know, they're good at this point for once or twice a, a season, but uh, we do do quite well with those those older movies from, um, you know, not only Generation X growing up in, but now uh, the millennials, you know, we're starting into some of the 90s uh, movies that are performing well as a, on a retro basis. So, um, but that's always uh, add-on kind of per se. We do those at Wellfleet usually in the uh, in the last couple of weeks of the season. But nonetheless, I, I think to answer your question, the, the two really good performers in the last 2020, 2021 were Free Guy and Jungle Cruise. Oh, that's, that's great to hear that, that family titles are able to push uh, the story forward. You mentioned uh, one title that was day and date on PVOD and one title that was exclusive to cinemas. So it's it's great to see that even with even if it's not ideal, uh, the PVOD situation, drive-ins continue to be a destination for audiences. I'm sure these films could be bigger with a little bit of exclusivity. Oh, absolutely. I, I will say, going back to you know one of those two titles, we did see a uh, more precipitous drop in the one that was available on PVOD, you know, week to week, than the one that wasn't. You know, definitely without PVOD, they last longer, and that benefits. I think that benefits all the entire industry, not only theaters, but it benefits the entire industry to have that that length. And and we we talk about the programming challenges when you're running a first run film. Sometimes these terms as a single screen push you to keep the film on that screen for more than one week, which it's great business on week one when everybody's showing up. But if it's available at home, week two, week three, you have a contractual obligation to keep your only screen on that one title when people that didn't watch it opening weekend were the people that were always going to watch it at home. It's, uh, I'm sure that's been a, an ongoing concern for, for the drive-in sector that usually has uh, a much lower number of screens than your indoor counterparts. Yes, uh, con contractual demands that demand more at two, two, three weeks are very troubling in our industry. Um, you know, especially for a single screen indoor or drive-in. You know, it's it's very difficult, especially if you have a fixed audience. You know, who try to come to the movies every week, and you know, it to have to have to have a movie in three weeks. It just they're the customers are the one that are baffled by it. Like, why do you still have this? Well, we have to. They just cannot fathom why we would have to keep a movie for three weeks. It just is beyond them and beyond their logic. And I said, it's something exclusive to the theatrical industry. And of course, you're not only competing uh, against the home with these shortened window contractual obligations at times. Last summer, 
you had a little bit more competition from drive-ins that were outside of the exhibition business. I mean, uh, let's say a, a city parks department that decided to just install a screen, not really put a lot of technology in there, not really go through the steps that any drive-in would have to in order to secure content and, and have an outdoor uh, screening event. You also had to compete with big box stores that decided to put pop-up drive-ins on their parking lot Companies that have no business in exhibition just coming in and competing against authentic drive-ins. You launched a website uh, earlier this year on authentic drive-ins and really helping uh, folks go and find these true drive-in experiences. Could you speak about that uh, competitive landscape and about that website uh, so our listeners can know where to go if they want a real drive-in experience? Absolutely. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, AuthenticDriveIns.com, and it exposes the you know assets that what we consider authentic drive-in has. Things like, well, number one, it was built to be a drive-in. <laughs> number two, it typically has many of, not necessarily all, but there's a lot of key features we consider. Um, you know, a large permanently constructed screen, DCI compliant equipment for Hollywood first run movies that meets the proper brightness and color controls and everything else down the line. The right sound, you know, a fixed concession building, possibly a playground, and uh, a lot of other smaller things that, in on the whole, make up the authentic driving experience versus being in a parking lot with, uh, you know, a, a screen thrown up in some manner. And we we think that the public, for the most part, understands the difference. You know, we we can see that in, in some of the reviews we've seen in some of these if, events. Uh, but also, it, that website is a great way to find your local drive-in if you're not uh, familiar where they are. There's a geographical search you can do on it, and you'll find the local uh, Utatoa drive-in near you. You know, we know what hap had happened in the pandemic, and I was very happy to see many of my indoor counterparts um, survive and do the, uh, you know, the various outdoor experiences. They know how to do the DCI projection and everything else. You know, what really irks us as an industry is the availability of product and, and there's certain movies that are in the vault for real theaters, indoor theater or out, you know, authentic an indoor theater or an outdoor theater that we don't have access to. And a lot of these venues had access to that repertory product, including in 2020, that we were forbade from playing, but they could play, you know, and that is particularly troubling to uh, our industry that for a variety of reasons, we're not allowed to play some of these retro product and, and these pop-up venues um, are allowed to play them. So aside from that, you know, I, I think the public does appreciate the authentic driving experience and they will seek that out. And I encourage everyone to seek an authentic driving experience out if you haven't been. We know there's a lot of areas in the United States that don't have one necessarily within, you know, a drivable distance. But if you have the opportunity, please visit your local drive-in. I know many are closed for this season, but consider it for next, next season. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised and I think you'll love the experience. And that is AuthenticDriveIn.com online to go and find any of these real drive-ins, these purpose-built drive-ins all over the country. It's a great website. I think a great initiative, John, that, that Yudatoa has to connect with, uh, with moviegoers that are looking for that specific type of experience and don't want to end up at a Walmart parking lot uh, to see something that, that really isn't the real thing. Exactly. And we thank Box Office Boost um, for assisting us in that effort. It, it was, uh, it's a fantastic site. And let's talk a little bit more about that positive momentum uh, that drive-ins have. You, you mentioned it's a seasonal business. Uh, this is the off-season. I always compare you guys to like the baseball calendar. 
Like the, yeah, the baseball yeah. season always coincides and overlaps yes. with the drive-in season. So right it does. now, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> you have your winter meetings right now uh, down in Florida. Right now, you're hearing about all the trades on the on the baseball landscape. Right now, the drive-ins. You guys are getting together, making your plans for the 2022 season. We've got Utatoa, your annual convention happening in late January in Orlando. Could you give us some details about what's on tap at this year's uh, event? The first one since 2020, correct? You, you were actually able to slip in the 2020 edition. We were, and I think we were one of the last industry functions uh, before the, you know, before the shutdown happened. It was the last week in June, well, into the first week in February of 2020. And then, you know, things, as we all know, a month later, we got, everyone got locked up, for lack of a better word. But yes, we were eager to get back to meet in person. Uh, we will be at the Grand Orlando Resort, which soon to be Delta by Marriott in Kissimmee. And it's a perfect facility for us. It's just the right size where we have the entire convention facilities and we have some flexibility in going back and forth between rooms versus being in a facility that's too small or a facility that's so big that you're one of many conventions there. And, and it's centrally located to um, Disney World, probably a little further up to Universal and all that for people who want to extend their stay down there. And it's just off the two highways, so you don't get stuck on either International Drive or 192 for too, too long of a period, as we found with other locations. However, this year, we think we're probably just going to focus on getting together, social side of it. I think we do have an actor lined up to come. I'm not allowed to say who it is yet. Uh, we might even see one of their movies. But aside from that, it's, it's really going to be kind of similar in in spirit to CinemaCon of of last August where it was really just all right let's not worry about a tent pole event or speakers or anything like that let's just get together enjoy each other's company you know catch up many of us have not seen each other in 2 years so that's probably going to be the, the main theme we will always have the trade show component any um any vendor who's uh who's listening who wants to come to the show we have plenty of openings it's uditoa.org and you can click a convention link there for delegates you have to have um you know a drive-in to be eligible you don't have to be a member of Utatoa, but we certainly welcome non-Utatoa members to the convention or you have to be a guest of a Utatoa member to attend and uh, we do have some uh, many guest speakers lined up uh, but the main overall theme is going to be simply to reconnect and exchange ideas you know, lessons learned over the last couple of years type of uh, events. So we, we're all looking forward to it, though. Are there any uh, panels or discussion topics that come to top of mind right now that, that you're excited to speak about with your colleagues after such a difficult year and a half? We are going to have a panel slash member discussion on lessons learned over the last two years. And I, I don't even want to use the word lessons learned from COVID. <laughs> but, you know, basically is what it is, is lessons learned. And, you know, a lot of us got had to get forced out of our comfort zone. Although I've had a point of sale at my indoor cinema since 1986. We were one of the first to have, I think it was called Theatron at the time. We, back when we many have theaters archival was. ads of Theatron <laughs> in our magazine. So it, yeah. It, Please tell me you kept it. I want to say hi to Theatron when I go to your theater. Yeah, they're long gone, but <laughs> nonetheless. So, you know, contrast that with at the drive-in side, we were autumn a ticket till 2022 and include 2019. Wow. So, you know, and we always were worried you know, at the driving side, how do we deal with, you know, selling advanced tickets and what do we do with possible sellout nights and how do we fish out of the people coming in who's bought advanced tickets? We had never intended on going to advanced tickets in my drive-in. We had never intended 
well, we were eventually knew we were going to have to go to a credit card system at the box office. But, you know, COVID accelerated that. And our lessons learned is, hey, selling advanced tickets at the drive is a very good thing on so many levels. Uh, one of which you know, we didn't even think of was we get a serious indicator on how busy the night's going to be and can plan accordingly by, you know, calling in extra people at four or five o'clock. Uh, when we didn't have that intelligence before. So, you know, that's that's the type of information we're probably going to exchange with each other and, and learn, you know, and help us collectively improve our businesses. That's always been a big component of the driving industry. We're very forthright in sharing with ideas on how to do our operations and make more money. And thanks again to John Vincent Jr., the head of the United Drive-In Theater Owners Association, for joining us this week. The Box Office Podcast is produced by Box Office Pro, the Box Office Company, and Record Edit Podcast. Tune in next Thursday for the latest episode of what's going on in the theatrical exhibition business. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening.